Today's reading is taken from Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. Luke, chapter 19, starting at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, his owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is God's word. Well, thanks, Johnny. Um, Let's pray again as we uh, reflect on this passage. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us because you love us. And please, with this story of uh, deep joy and deep grief, we pray you'd help us to, um, to know and love Jesus more, we pray. Amen. Um, well, please do keep your Bibles on page 1054 because we're going to be thinking through that story a little bit. Um, but let me ask you a question What's the most important thing in our lives? Uh, Odds are we'd answer that question differently as we go through life. If we're younger, we might say our parents are the most important thing. Well, we might not want to say that, but uh, it might be true because our parents shape us and shape where we're going so deeply, don't they? Uh, We might say education is the most important thing in our lives. Maybe you've got exams coming up next term, and it just feels like the most important thing, because how you do in your exams, well, that shapes what people think of you, the job you get, what you end up doing in life. Really easy to feel the pressure of all that. Maybe we'd say relationships are the most important thing. A romantic relationship, one that we have, one that we long for, 
that's the direction our society would push us in, isn't it? That romance is, well, the big thing in life. But it might not be that. It might be friendships, having good mates, a community that we can belong to. Maybe as we get older, our health becomes the most important thing, the thing that's most on our minds. These days, it could just be our bank balance, having enough. Now, how am I going to have enough to support myself, my family, with things getting tighter? Well, all those things are really important. But this morning, our passage shows us they're not the most important thing. For one day, we'll all look back on our lives and we'll realize that however important our exams and our relationships and our bank balances were, much more important was whether we had Jesus as our king. See, having Jesus as our king, or not, is the most important thing in our lives. Exams and relationships and friendships, they do shape our lives a bit. But whether we have Jesus as our king will shape how we spend forever, either enjoying wonderful peace or experiencing tragic destruction. That brings us to this story from Luke's gospel. It's often called the triumphal entry, and um, it often has people waving around palm branches in it, hence Palm Sunday. Well, no palm branches here. Um, Luke was having none of that, um, I guess. And actually, when I read Luke's account, even the title doesn't quite fit. Um, what about this title instead, the not-so-triumphal entry? Don't know what you make of that. Maybe be thinking about that as we go through. But whatever we call it, Jesus is the center of this story, and we learn two things about him. First, Jesus wants to be known as king. We're jumping into the story as Jesus makes his final approach to Jerusalem, but Jesus and his disciples have been on their way to the city for a long time now, uh, since way back in chapter 9 of Luke's gospel. And now, 10 chapters later, they're finally arriving. So good for us to be in that mindset of finally reaching your destination. You know, you've been uh, watching through some TV series and you've finally reached the final season. Or better yet, you're going on holiday and you've been in the car for six hours, which I realize if you're from America or, or somewhere like that, six hours is nothing. So scale it up to six days. Um, but you've been in the car for ages and you're finally getting there. Uh, you can see your destination just around the corner, the, the lovely holiday house on the coast with the sun bouncing off the sea. Finally there. Well, that's the mood of this story finally getting there, the anticipation, here, at last. It's all been building up to this. And for this last leg of the journey, Jesus makes some very particular travel arrangements. Verse 30, at the Mount of Olives, just east of Jerusalem, he tells two of his disciples, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt, a young donkey tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it, 
Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. Now, we don't know if Jesus knew about the colt supernaturally or if he'd arranged things in advance with the colt's owners, including that password, the Lord needs it. What's clear is Jesus is being very intentional about getting a colt, isn't he? And Jesus isn't after a lift just to save his feet. You know, that's why you'd normally ride an animal so you didn't have to walk. Well, Jesus has walked the whole journey to Jerusalem on foot, 99%. Be really easy to walk the final 1% on foot too. So why, with Jerusalem finally in sight, does he go out of his way to make sure he rides in on a colt? Well, not because his feet hurt, but because he wants to send a very public message. Uh, Here's a verse from the Old Testament prophet Zechariah, a verse everyone in Jesus' day would have known. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Do we see what Jesus is doing? Here's a verse everyone would have known about God's king riding on a colt who comes to restore Jerusalem, to rule the world in peace and put everything right. And so when Jesus goes out of his way to ride into Jerusalem on a colt, he's not being subtle, is he? He is broadcasting for everyone to see, that's me. I'm the king. I want you to know it's me. And it doesn't stop there. Verse 36, people spread their cloaks on the road as you would for royalty. And we might expect Jesus to say, no, don't be silly. That's a bit much. But he doesn't tell them to roll back the red carpet. He walks on it. And then he's coming down the hill, and his disciples erupt in loud praise. Cast your minds forward to um, the Jubilee coming up in June, and imagine hearing the roaring crowds lining the streets as the queen goes by in her golden carriage. Well, outside Jerusalem, loud voices cry out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven, and glory in highest. Imagine someone yelling that as the queen went by. You'd be concerned, wouldn't you? But Jesus is happy to have those exalted things said of him. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Don't let them say this stuff about you. Listen to Jesus' reply. I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Staggering. There's the old British stereotype, um, or the old stereotype that British people won't accept a compliment. You know, they'll find some way to deflect it um, 
especially a public compliment. That's, that's the worst nightmare of all. Um, you know, you say to Doris, Doris, you look lovely today. And Doris says back something like, well, yeah, only because I finally had a shower for once. Um, can't accept a compliment. Too embarrassing. Well, Jesus couldn't be less British here, could he? When a crowd hails him as God's king, not only does he let them, but he says that nature itself would do it for them if they fell quiet. How would we feel if anyone else spoke this way? By the way, don't miss that Jesus does rebuke someone, but not his disciples. He rebukes the Pharisees. They've said to him, Jesus, who do you think you are to let people call you God's king? And it's like Jesus says to them, Pharisees, for all your, no your knowledge, you could learn a lot from this stone. Because this dead, dumb stone has a better idea of who I am than you do. Here's the point. Jesus wants to be known as king. He knows who he is, and he's not shy about it. Which is different to how Jesus is portrayed sometimes. Uh, a few years back, the author Philip Pullman wrote a book with a provocative title, The Good Man Jesus and the Scoundrel Christ, which is a kind of reimagining of history where uh, Pullman says that Jesus never wanted to be known as God's king. Jesus was just this normal guy, this good guy with progressive ideas. But Jesus' evil twin, Christ, spread the lie that Jesus was more than that. Not just a good guy, but God's king, a legacy that Jesus never wanted. But as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, do we see Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus deliberately styles his image to look like God's king in a way everyone will understand. He accepts the royal red carpet treatments. He doesn't rebuke his disciples' praise. Jesus wants to be known as king. Now, to be sure, Jesus is a very different kind of king. When we think of royalty, we probably imagine our queen, who has lots of pomp, but can't do very much. Or of Vladimir Putin, who can do a lot, and we wish he couldn't. Well, Jesus wants to be known as the king who rides, not in a golden carriage or on a war horse, but the king who rides a donkey. A king who isn't shy about his right to rule every one of our lives but through his rule, who brings us peace, peace with God and peace with each other. And we see something of that in what happens next. Jesus weeps for those who reject him as king. Picture the scene, the crowds coming down the hill and Jerusalem is finally in sight. Jesus' disciples Look at the city. This is what they've been waiting for. It's all been building up to this. The air is full of joyful praise. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And then amid the sounds of celebrating, the disciples hear a very different sound, the sound of weeping. Not just quiet sobs, but loud wailing. Who'd be weeping 
at a time like this, they wonder. And then they see it's Jesus who is broken down in tears, wailing with sorrow at the sight of Jerusalem. Verse 41, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. Um, we're told of only two times in Jesus' life when he wept. One was when he wept over the death of his friend Lazarus, though he knew that in moments he'd bring Lazarus back from death. And the other time is this, Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. Well, if Jesus wept for his friend who he knew had hope, what sorrow must have filled his heart as he wept for a city that had no hope anymore. See, Jesus is God coming in peace. God's king who offers peace with God. But within days, Jerusalem will kill the king and reject the peace offer. And rejecting peace Jerusalem, Jerusalem brings on itself terrible judgment, doomed to become like one of those besieged cities that we're seeing heartbreaking images of in the news these days. So Jesus weeps, not because he's sorry for himself and the suffering they'll inflict on him, but for what their rejection of him will cost them. It breaks his heart. And it's true there's mystery here. Wasn't it God's plan for Jesus to die in Jerusalem? And wasn't it Jerusalem's own choice to kill Jesus? Well, when people reject God's peace offer, we can look at it from both those angles. God's plan, human responsibility. Just notice that neither of those angles stops Jesus from weeping. He doesn't just say, well, it was God's will for them to reject, to reject me and be destroyed. That's that. He doesn't just say, well, they brought it on themselves. It's their responsibility. No, he weeps. Jesus weeps for people who reject him and are doomed to destruction. Jesus, he wants to be known as king, and he weeps for those who reject him as king. Well, that's Jesus. What about us? Where do we, where do you and I fit into this story? Some of us might not have Jesus as our king, but most of us in this room would say Jesus is our king, I imagine. And if that's you, then put yourself in the shoes of the disciples in this story. Right now, you're part of the victory parade, joyfully praising but within days, your king is dead. Joyful praise replaced by tears of disappointment. Victory 
now defeat. You thought you were really part of something. Now you feel like you're on the wrong side of history. And in that place, Jesus would tell us to look back. Look back to the three times that he promised on the way to Jerusalem he'd be rejected and crucified. The cross is God's peace plan for us. And Jesus would tell us to look forward. Look forward to his promise of resurrection. The cross isn't the end of the story. It's the gateway to triumph. In fact, right before this, Jesus told his disciples that he wasn't going to become king right away, that he'd have to go away and come back. Actually, his disciples should have realized something like this when they shouted, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Because that's coming from Psalm 118 in the Old Testament, which, which speaks of a victorious king who's come through terrible struggle and opposition, who's been saved from death and is now surrounded by their subjects in a victory celebration, thanking the Lord. See, this not-so-triumphal entry is a preview of the real thing. It's a glimpse for us of what awaits all Jesus' disciples. For the day is coming when we'll surround King the risen King Jesus as he enters the new Jerusalem, joining the awesome victory parade and announcing, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, as all creation, stones included, burst out in joyful song to its King. And under the King's rule, we'll live in peace forever with God and with each other. See, if life is a journey, then that's the seaside holiday we're looking forward to, picturing. Just imagine the thrill of finally arriving, the anticipation. This is what it's all been building up to, and we're finally here. Well, as we wait, here are three implications for our lives now. One, publicly praising the king. At work, or at school, or at home, uh, it might feel off limits to praise Jesus the king. It might even feel like going public with King Jesus puts us on the wrong side of history, the losing side. But this is where history's going. This story is a preview of what we're going to be doing forever, joyfully praising our king. And it's what Jesus wants. Others might not want us to, a bit like the Pharisees in this story. But Jesus wants to be known as king. He's not shy about it. So let's not be shy about it. And in a world that needs peace, how good to celebrate a different kind of king, King Jesus, who comes in peace to everyone who will have him. Two, weeping for those who reject the king. I wonder, when did we last shed a tear for those who reject King Jesus? The judgment that fell on Jerusalem, and it did fall 
40 years later when the Romans raised the city to the ground. It pictures the judgment that will fall on all people who reject God's peace offer in Jesus. And I've realized this week, I'm not nearly sad enough about that. My heart doesn't break like it should, like Jesus' heart does. Now, we can't weep all the time, but when's the last time we wept as we considered our neighbors, our colleagues, our friends who don't know Jesus as their king? When I lived in London, um, I'd sometimes be on a tube carriage and look around and wonder, who here knows peace with God through Jesus? Anyone? Heartbreaking. But that was three years ago. When's the last time we shed a tear for those who reject their king? And finally, if you fit into this story as someone who doesn't yet have Jesus as their king, then learn from Jerusalem's tragic mistake. Don't miss the opportunity like they did. Jesus wept because it was too late for them. Wonderfully, there were many individuals within the city who would come to accept Jesus as their king. But for the city as a whole, it was too late. So if you haven't yet received Jesus as your king, don't let it be too late for you. Receive him and receive peace with God while there's time. Well, um, let's be quiet for a bit and maybe pray in response to this.